Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? Cinnamon, where you gonna run to? How to dream, cowboys. Welcome back to the HBO Boys podcast, where we recap and review the hit shows on HBO. Today we're talking about Lovecraft Country, Season 1, Episode 4, A History of Violence, but shockingly no Vigo Mortensen. I'm James, and with me as always is Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Hello. This episode is better for it. As much as I love Vigo Mortensen, History of Violence is a... You know, we did five minutes on my hatred for <laughs> History of Violence last episode. We don't have to keep getting into it, I suppose. Actually, we should say the writer's the same, Misha Green, the showrunner, but this is a different director, Victoria Mahoney. I think we talked about her also last episode. But yeah, she uh, she worked on Rise of the Skywalker. <laughs> She's also going to be a director on a new show called Dawn. And, you know, I don't think we have to get into her very much because she is ingrained in this episode. This episode is not like the rest. It has very different... Oh, hold on. By the way, I apologize. My voice is the worst at the moment. I have This is my third podcast I'm recording of the day. Which is a segue into, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash the HBO boys, boys with the Z. Give $1 a month and you get way more content. There's like 15 hours of content on there waiting for you, plus like two hours of content every month. And there's probably going to be more because I'm starting a solo podcast for on HBO Max. They have just put up Hunter Hunter. There, it, the nomenclature is Hunter X Hunter, but I don't. I believe the X is silent based on all the research I've done over the past five hours. <laughs> um, so yeah, they have. It's an anime that, upon com- talking with you know James, whom I don't know if you all know, but if you go to our Patreon, you can hear the totality of his anime podcast that he had called Anime Rewind. He is a anime fan. I'm not so much. I'm just doing this because it was less than a half hour and it was on HBO Max and I don't know, just seemed fun to do. So yeah, my the first episode is up on the Patreon right now. You're going to be able to get those episodes on Patreon at least 24 hours before they go up on the main channel. And I did one episode of that today. It's up on Patreon now. I did the second episode today. Sadly, I had to scratch it. A gosh dang lawnmower was going the entire time. So the second episode has to be redone. And then this is the third podcast I'm doing today. And I'm thrashed, bro. So Hunter Hunter... What are your feels? Uh, I love that anime. I've, I've read the whole manga. I've seen the whole show. I really like it. I think you're going to like it. Did you watch the 2011 version or the... Yes, yeah. The the original version. So there's two versions. I think believe 2011 is the most recent. And there was a one oh. before that. And the one oh. before that, uh, yes. not so good. But the second one, really good. I, I hope you'll have me on sometime and we'll talk about it in, in detail. I would love to. And I think we're, I'm, you know... I'll tell him what I'm watching of it, and I'll get, and by him I mean James, because he's like knows what he's doing. You'll also, on the Patreon, you can find Victoria Mahoney was the second unit director on Rise of the Skywalker, which Ryan and I did a full recap and review of, and, uh, spoiler, we hated it. Mm-hmm. That was a good one. <laughs> we were intoxicated. So episode four begins with Tick's father Montrose drinking a lot alone in his apartment, having a mental breakdown about his brother George's death at the hands of Titus. Braithwaite, 
and he has some documents relating to the Order of the Glorious Dawn. Is that it? The Order of the Golden Dawn? Oh, I don't know. I the was Order. Real- yeah, I was super <laughs> hoping you knew because holy hell, I can't remember. We do a podcast about this show. <laughs> he burns the book in a trash can. Does he? So do we see him throw the book in the trash can? I think so. Okay, because I'm second guessing <laughs> it. We know that he like he pours out his booze, which is unlike him. And then I do. I think he does burn the book, but I'm not sure. Maybe he like pretend burned the book. Anyway, the point is he had the book in the first place, and he knows more than he lets on. Meanwhile, on the other side of the city. Christina Braithwaite goes to visit Letty at her up-and-running boarding home, and Letty doesn't want to let her in, and she actually can't get in because the spirit medium in episode three, like, put a protective spell on the house, which I guess keeps Christina out. Maybe she's some kind of demon or something. Yeah, the last act of that spiritual healer before she got, you know, slammed into the concrete by a ghostly figure is to protect Letty in this moment. Christina can't get through the door, and so it's very vampire-like, you know. Vampires can't come in without being asked in. Christina Braithwaite can't get in when a goat's blood is on doors. You know how it goes. Christina has come because she wants Hiram Epstein's orrery, and Letty doesn't know what an orrery is. I didn't know. Did you know what that is? No, I had no goddamn clue until she explained that it's the gold planets thing that Hippolyta was like, that's my shit. Right, so it's like the model solar system you would make for a third grade science project. Right, and I believe it it comes to light that it's also a time machine. It turns out in the next scene that Hippolyta has taken possession of the Ori. We saw her walk into the room with it in episode three, and she's keeping it at the travel agency office, and she... Can't seem to figure out how to get it working. But probably bad news that she's got it. It's probably cursed. Oh, it's for sure cursed. She has a love of space. That's why she took it in the first place. And I think it's just counting down to whenever the Hippolyta episode is. I think she'll get a whole episode for herself. Liddy goes to the library to confront Tick, where he is researching about Titus Braithwaite. She's angry that Christina showed up on her door, and she's figured out that Christina sent her the money, and she's figured out that Tick already knew that. And she's upset with him. He's busy trying to unlock the secrets of the missing pages from the Book of Names that Christina mentioned at the end of the last episode. It's a lot of callbacks. And he wants to find them first, and then use the magic secrets within to figure out some method with which he can kill Christina, because he wasn't able to at the end of episode three. Do you think it's a bit of hubris that Tick and Letty just assume they're going to figure out the magic and then it's going to go super well? Like, the last time they saw magic happen, a house fell to the ground and a person disintegrated. Well, it's just hopefully whatever amount of pages that are out there, like if there's three or four, there's some magic spell like, here's how to kill monsters. And now like, oh, okay, all these uh, pages pertain to how to grow an amazing garden. Whoops. Yeah, but ha- like if I'm Tick, I'm also thinking, like, if I do, like, one spell, small spell, and I haven't tried spells before, will I explode? I don't know. I'm not fucking magic. Tick, Letty, and Montrose then go to meet in the bar to discuss Tick's plan, which Montrose is totally against. He seems to know more about the Order than he's letting on, and he's refusing to help. After Tick leaves angrily, eventually he tells Letty that he may know about a secret vault belonging to Titus Braithwaite somewhere in Boston. Oh, BT dubs. 
Tick looks at all the books he has in the library, and Montrose has had all of them in the past. Ah, so this is basically history repeating itself, perhaps. Yeah, what's this motherfucker know that we don't? Christina gets picked up by the cops while she's playing tag with some kids in the street. Like, what? Weird. Super weird. (laughs) Right on, though. Uh, They bring her to the chief of police who wants her out of town. He's a member of Epstein via Winthrop's offshoot order of the Golden Dawn. They had, like, their own schism and their side thing going on in Chicago. And they challenge each other over the right to own the missing pages. The cop's like, no, that belongs to my offshoot. Christina's like, no, I'm the inheritor of the original order, so they belong to me. And they're butting heads a little bit here. I wonder, like, does the chief of police have magic, too? Why doesn't Christina just flatten him with her psychic powers? (laughs) Right. This is a superhero talking to a peasant. Why don't they just burn them with their magic eyes? Uh, The cop's point at the end of it is like, all of this doesn't matter. You're a woman, and women are lesser than men. Also, he calls Christina a cunt, and Mm -hmm. she's like, oh. Okay, I just saw, like, Ryan from The Office writing on his list i'm like okay he called me the c word gonna murder him for sure (laughs) the heroes pack up old woody to take a trip to boston but surprise hippolyta and d have decided to join them at the last minute basically montrose was not able to explain what they were doing without also coming up with a reason why they can't go without breaking their cover At the same time, Tree is coming for some ungodly reason. Yeah, this character who I I just barely remembered because he's been in the show just a little bit. I think, well, he works at the bar and Mm -hmm. he's also uh, horny for Letty. Right, he has lied in the past that him and Letty had sex in high school, which we know now is a lie because Letty just lost her virginity last episode to Tick. And he seems to be Montrose's friend, although later he kind of betrays... Montrose's trust so not a good friend or a good guy kind of a, a, a kind of a dick yeah sort of a dick meanwhile Letty's sister Ruby goes to a fancy department store downtown this is one that she mentioned to Letty in a previous episode the place that she wanted to work and she's very surprised and upset to see that there's already a young black woman working there as a clerk so she's thinking now she's missed her shot right there is like an unwritten this is baseball there are unwritten rules And she assumes that if they've hired one African-American, they are not going to hire another. I want to go back for a moment because I just had a thought. Mm -hmm. In the first scene when Montrose was burning or not burning the book, who goddamn knows, he says, smells like Tulsa. Do you think he was talking about the race riots in Tulsa and the fires? Yeah, this already came up. Him and George are from Tulsa. And they had to flee the city during the the Black Wall Street riots. Okay, yeah, cool. I just want to make sure because, you know, that's like a large part of the plot of Watchmen, which we've also done. And you can listen to right now on our channel. Right. Interesting that that's a recurring theme across the two shows. Because, again, until Watchmen, it had kind of been in a place of, like, cultural obscurity. Um, and, and a lot of articles have been written about it since then. Like, wow, Watchmen brought up this thing that, like, American history is largely forgotten. And now it's in Lovecraft Country, too. Right. Do you remember we were watching the first episode and you described it? And I was like, I thought it was fiction until I looked it up. And you're like, me too. Like, it was just so mind boggling that it was real. The main characters arrive at the Boston Museum of Science, where Montrose believes the vault is supposedly hidden. And they all go off. Dee and Hippolyta want to go to the 
astronomy section. Montrose has some deal to break in later with the security guard. And Tree is just like obnoxiously third-wheeling Tick and Letty. I believe he has that conversation with Letty about how he lied about having sex with her. He also has a conversation with Tick. So he was like, oh, you're mad because I sent you back when the the owner of the bar, you know, was getting blown. And Tick's like, why would I be mad about that? It has nothing to do with me. And he's like, oh, well, maybe it has something to do with your dad. Your dad's good friends with the bar owner. So just right. casually intimating that his dad might be gay. Right. I think this is the second time that's come up as well, which I don't know if that's going to entangle itself in the story of Montrose perhaps not being Tick's actual father. And maybe it's George and Tick's actual mother being, I, th- I assume, the girl that George was dancing with in episode one. But mm. I don't know. We'll see. There's some John Snow shit going on over here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tick Snow, dude. Characters spend a nice time in the museum. Looks like a nice museum. Tick and Tree are exploring Titus's collection of colonial artifacts. Apparently, Titus was like, I don't know, uh, uh, an explorer, and he stole a bunch of artifacts from around the world and put them in this Boston museum. Yeah, this is where. I don't know where Nick Cage is, but this is where the episode of National Treasure starts that I was unaware of. I was about to see. Yeah, right. And and I gotta say, like, it, uh, Tick is giving off huge Nathan Drake vibes, and is even kind of dressed like Nathan Drake. That I was wondering, like, is this a visual reference, or are Uncharted and this show both drawing from the same visual shorthand? Because like it, he uh, he just he was wearing like a Nathan Drake outfit, and I kept thinking about that. There's that one point where he takes off his shirt to reveal a tank top underneath. And I was like, does he do that? Because he's like, because the director was like, no, we got to show off them guns. If you have those guns attached to that torso, we sun's out, guns out, baby. We, you're in a cave. I understand that. But you got to show them. Or is it like, okay, Nathan Drake time is over. Also, uh, it reminded me of <laughs> that. Well, I mean, what, what you just said now reminded me. That apparently at a certain point in the MCU, Chris Evans was like, I'm not taking my shirt off anymore, okay? I'm putting that in the contract. <laughs> really? Yeah. A diva. Didn't want to didn't want to show off his pecs to anymore. I think more so like he just didn't want to work out as much as he has to if he has to take his shirt off all the time, which Chris Hemsworth was mad about constantly, right? He was like, I've had to work out for 15 years, not giving me goddamn Tony Stark money, you dicks. And they responded with like, okay, do you want to just be fat? He's like, yes, that'd be perfect. (laughs) You just want to start drinking beer and eating cake for the next roll? You're talking about language. Elsewhere, Christina goes to some creepy mansion for reasons unknown. Two cops are tailing her, but then her boyfriend, is his name Eric? Because he looks like Eric from True Blood, and and he talks like Eric from True Blood. I know, he looks like a Skarsgård. And he also claimed that he was not her boyfriend, but... Just a just a friend. His name is William. Okay. And Christina walks in the house, and then he walks out of the house, which I believe intimates that Christina and William are the same person, and that Christina uh-huh. is shape-shifting into William. You know, Christina's whole thing is, being a woman, goddamn sucks. I can't get into the order I want to get into. I can't do all the things. Like, it's her, it's her version of of oppression she's less oppressed than all the other characters in the show but she's still a woman and facing that oppression and it's her That's answer to it so i'd like to know is this your theory or is this your spoiler this is a theory although i will okay. say a lot of the internet agrees <laughs> and that inter- and the internet is like the because again in the books christina 
is named Caleb and is just a dude from the beginning. Right. Okay. Interesting. Later that night, the trio of Tick, Letty, and Montrose break into the museum. Tick thinks there's a doorway in the pedestal of an enormous statue of Titus. And when the moonlight hits the statue, it reveals a shining switch, which opens up a sprawling underground passage. From this moment on, Mm -hmm. the music becomes something that we haven't heard in this show as of yet. It was like the director went to the composer and was like, okay, have you seen a heist in a movie from a museum? Do that. (laughs) Have you seen Rise of the Skywalker? No, it's not that. It's not that. uh, Think of if Rise of the Skywalker (laughs) had a museum heist and do that. Using the clues from Titus's life story that they can glean from the museum, they try to determine how to navigate the serpentine underground tunnels. It's like there's a few tunnels and they're marked with Roman numerals. And it's like, oh, which way should we go? Oh, this Roman numeral is the year that Titus completed his journey or whatever. And, and they, they, they figure out that must be the right way to go. They have to overcome a series of challenges. The first of which is a gorge with a wooden... What's it called? Plank. Plank across it that Letty goes over first with a rope tied around her, but then she disappears into the smoke and then Tick goes and then Montrose goes as he realizes that the plank is disappearing. They get all the way to the other end of it and then there is a puzzle that has to be done. Montrose just so happens to figure it out right as they're about to fall down into the gorge because he doesn't know anything. Well, and they get through the first quest and then Tick turns around and he's like, hey, man, how the fuck did you do that? Hmm? This is a D&D campaign now. <laughs> yeah, seriously. God, like, Or rather, it's a, it's a Call of Cthulhu campaign. <laughs> yes, exactly. With a, it's D&D, but with a Lovecraft-inspired map. Which, by the way, I will say, as I'm now watching Hunter x Hunter, mm-hmm. the map of Hunter x Hunter is inspired by Dreamland, a map created for a fictional universe that Lovecraft did. And I talk about it at length in the second episode to come because I love maps. Nice. Nice. I didn't know that. You're teaching me things about this anime that I thought I was an expert of. Fucking no shit. It's all shit, dude. Back in Chicago, Ruby has a bad set performing at the bar and she goes to grab a drink and... William is there, buys her a drink, and acts like he wants to pick her up. Or or maybe legitimately does want to pick her up. Flirting with her, in any case. Well, if you assume that he is Christina, more likely he just wants to get in the house as William because Ruby lets him in. And he, she, he, she could not get in there previously when Christina was trying to get in with Letty. So have we never seen Christina and William in a scene together? We have not. Okay. So it's like a Batman, Bruce Wayne kind of thing. It's like, how come they're never in the same room? Right. How come they're both vampires? As Ryan mentioned, the heroes get to an enormous cavern with a tiny plank. They send Letty first. There's a swinging blade booby trap. And the plank is also like vanishing magically. But they just narrowly escape with their lives. They reach a doorway that needs to have like the stones pressed in a certain order. And somehow Montrose knows the correct order to do it, which is suspicious to the other characters. After that, they get into a cave system that looks like the water is rising slowly but surely. There's some tension here between Trick and Montrose that boils over. Tick accuses Montrose of not being a team player and sharing everything that he knows. 
Montrose says that he's only trying to keep things to himself so that he can protect his family in accordance with George's last wishes. Letty is pretty fed up with their fighting and angrily defends Montrose to Tick, which causes father and son to have a small amount of reconciliation. So, yeah, the amount that George and Montrose knows, or knew in George's case, is obviously not clear, right? Like, there's there's an amount that they've learned previous to the show even starting that is hard to understand for the audience currently watching it. And, well, I just have to figure it out as it goes. Back at the bar, William lends Ruby a sympathetic ear about her missing out on the department store job. And so Ruby brings him home and they have sex on her stairwell, which is not something I've ever done, but doesn't sound comfortable. No, no, it 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 sounds like getting stabbed with right angles of wood. During, and it seems uncomfortable. In any case, if you believe, like I do, that William is Christina and Christina is William, he is now in the house, but even when he's going to go look around, assumably, for the golden space thing that is maybe a time machine, it's not going to be in there anyway, because... Hippolyta has it. William also has a, like, ritual scarration tattoo of a, a, a horned devil on his chest. Yeah, it looks like it hurt. Back in the tunnels, they are now rapidly filling with water and getting up to the characters' chests. Um, they come across the elevator from Letty's boarding house and also the corpse of one of her neighbors. So somehow, in the span of an hour, they've traveled from Boston back to Chicago. I assume it's magic! Further on from the elevator, they find the entrance to the vault, which has a severed hand attached to it. Yeah, the fuck. And so Tick pulls out that whole arm and puts in his own arm, which thankfully works because he has the blood of the Braithwites. Yeah, his blood seems to like fill up some part contraption of the vault door. And then a rope ladder falls from the ceiling, which brings them to what appears to be like the deck of a ship. The Shrine of the Silver Monkey. This is the vault, but yeah, it looks like looks like a scene from Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. There are several mummified corpses sitting around a long dining table. They're all dressed as Native Americans. They find what they believe to be the pages of the Book of Names clutched in the hands of one of the mummies. Tick goes to grab the pages, and then the entire CGI budget for the show is blown in the next 20 seconds. Right. As they reach for the pages, the mummy snaps to life screaming and moaning and then shifting back into a living woman who has both sets of genitalia. So I'm calling that, that's Dongwatch 1 for Lovecraft Country. The actor is a woman, but mm-hmm. I, when I see a dong, I know it. I, I know what a dong looks yeah, like. Yeah, we're experts at this point. At this point, yeah, we've been counting dongs for four years, almost half a decade, okay? Hashtag Dongwatch 2020 is in full effect. Lovecraft Country, one dong. Right, one dong. If you have both sets of genitalia, at least one of them's going to be a dong. Looks so weird, though. Looks like a long nose. Well, what? Like a long what, cartoon what, nose what, dong. What, what stuck out to me is that it was not, like, centered. <laughs> it was it was centered to the right. It was droopy. You know, I am, in my imagination, it, like, one would just be on top of the other in, in either configuration, not one to the left and right. But hey, what do I know? I'm not a scientist. You're not. It's true. And also, she is naked, like completely, and she has what looks like are supposed to be tattoos, but 
I think it's body paint because it washes off. Yeah, poorly drawn on. She's speaking another language, but still somehow Tick is able to understand her. The woman's name is Yahima, and she was a Native American two-spirit shaman. This is actually a real thing. I learned about this in college. This was like that that people who were intersexed or transgender in some Native American cultures were believed to be more spiritually attuned than an average person. I just think she was talking for too long. Like, it would. I didn't have any captions, so she would just say five sentences that I couldn't understand, and then I had to wait for Tick to translate it too. The whole episode just came to a screeching halt at this point. I was like, just, just hurry this up. Tell me what's happening. She tells the story of how Titus Braithwaite came to her people looking for someone who could translate the language of Adam, and also how he used and betrayed her as soon as he got what he wanted from her, and then he imprisoned her in this vault for all time. As Tick is one of Titus's descendants, she is unwilling to help him, but says that she won't stand in his way either, since uh, his intentions are pure. So, you know, they've finished their quest, and now it's the part when in Indiana Jones, the large rock comes at you and tries to murder you. Right, as soon as they place their hands on the pages, the the window of the boat, because they're like on a boat, bursts, and it begins filling with water and flooding, so they have to run and then jump and then swim to safety. They almost lose the pages, but Letty braves the water to grab them before they take the elevator out of the caves and up towards her apartment, and they're saved, and they've got the pages, and Tick and Letty embrace. They're back together. This was the weirdest and most pointless part of the episode. <laughs> the Yakima goes to say something, but all that comes out is like a ear-piercing shriek that hurts everyone, and so Tick punches her in the face and knocks yeah. her out. She's a siren when she's out of the cave, apparently, they're going to have to explain this to Hippolyta and Dee about, you know, like, not being in Boston anymore, which doesn't make any sense. How long of a drive is it from Chicago to the East Coast? It's something you can do in a day? Yeah, it's like 13 or 14 hours, but okay. still, they're just up and left. They're gone. And, uh, like, we're going to see later, Hippolyta and, and Dee are like, the fuck, and... Hippolyta is more sus than she has ever been. Yeah, they're driving back to Chicago alone now, and Hippolyta sees Dee scribbling in her dad's atlas, and when Hippolyta grabs the atlas, she sees that the the route from Chicago to Devon County has been outlined in red, and Devon County's been, like, triple-circled, and she realized that the, maybe she can find the answers to George's death that she's looking for there, and she swings the car around and starts heading towards Artem, which is a bad place to go to. Fun facts. Down in the cave, when the pages almost escape, and Letty has to go swim over to them, they were in the back pocket of Montrose, who I wager purposely let them go. And then, you know, Letty had to, like, go and risk her life stupidly a, a time where, like, you knew she wasn't gonna die and go get them and then go back into the elevator. But I'm pretty sure Montrose was just throwing that shit away, hoping that they were just gone and they couldn't leave them be. Yeah, he's, like, undermining the whole quest. Well, I assume he's afraid that right. at the end of this quest, his son or George's son dies. Now at home, Tick tells Montrose that Titus has turned Yahima into a siren so she could only screech. Very odd plot point. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's just so it makes it tougher for in the middle of them getting home until what happens at the very end. It's harder to translate what's on the pages. Like, oh, no, you can't translate it. She's screaming. I think you, you could have written a way around this that was less clunky. But anyway, <laughs> having come to an accord in the catacombs, Montrose is finally able to praise Tick for all of his bravery, saying that if his mother was still alive, she would surely be proud of him. And Tick seems to appreciate the gesture, you know, puts his hand on his father's shoulder before saying goodnight. And then once Tick is out of earshot, <laughs> Montrose goes into Yahima's room, locks the door, cuts her throat. So she's dead. <laughs> so that, that siren plot went nowhere. <laughs> oh yeah, that's gone. The Montrose and Tick conversation was off-brand, and then the Montrose cutting that lady's throat was sort of on-brand. And the off-brand moment was like, oh, is Montrose going to die just like George did? Because it was just too much of a sappy moment. And then, right, the episode is over. And this episode just seemed a little out of place to me. Like, it had very cool moments. The music all the way throughout was good, but it was... Oh, it felt overdone. It felt, like, intrusive at moments. Like, I felt like it was in episode one. And also, this episode, like, the National Treasure Indiana Jones shit. Did not, it didn't do it for me. Yeah. Like, I'm, I, this show is a horror show, right? Like, it's yeah. a horror that you would have never known. Like, I'm not a fan of horror, but I would have liked it to be scarier. Like, this was, uh, goddamn National Treasure. It was fine, right? I, it, um, not as good as the episodes that came before, but, you know, not awful either. It, w- it was like the director didn't watch the other three and was like, we're going to make this one an action adventure and not care about the other ones. Right. <laughs> Which, uh, probably what she did for uh, <laughs> Rise of the Skywalker as well. But it is important to know, I did watch this with Sam and Sam said Letty's red lipstick is fire though. So that is a positive. So I, I actually talk more about uh, this director... Victoria Mahoney. I don't understand. What is the difference between a director and a and directing the second unit? What does that mean? So I'm going to talk about this in Lord of the Rings terms. Okay. So the second unit is getting all of the orcs running. It's getting all of the non-dialogue scenes, except for when there has to be a pickup. Like Merry and Pippin have to say something different on a int shoulder, but Peter Jackson is in the middle of filming Helm's Deep. So second unit goes off with Merry and Pippin and they do what they have to do. And then Peter Jackson as the director sees the dailies at the end of the day and gives them direction on what to do the next day. Right. So it's the same show, same movie, all being shot at once, but with two separate groups of people doing two separate things, the second of which unit is usually doing lesser plot, right? They're doing shots that are in between or pickups. So, you know, J.J. Abrams goes and tells Victoria Mahoney what to do, and then she goes and does it. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that, but makes sense. So that's what she did on Rise of the Skywalker. She directed... The action scenes, but not the scenes of dialogue. Yeah, I mean, it could have been. Or just like, you know, background in the bar or the town shots. It's just, it, it depends. I mean, I, I guarantee it probably changes from shoot to shoot. 
But, I mean, this is like the second unit director on Lord of the Rings directed Mortal Engines. Like, it's very common for second unit directors to become just regular old directors. Okay. Well, yeah, and, and she has now in Lovecraft Country. Like I said, I didn't hate the episode. It was fine. It was, you know, again, it, I, I, it's not fair just because she worked on Rise of the Skywalker to keep coming back to that. But it was right. kind of just like a fetch quest episode. And, and it sort of seems like, I, so we did an episode where they got the pages and now the plot can resume. So what really, what came from this episode? Hippolytus going to Artem. Yep. And they have the pages. Christina the, got into the house, but, but the, you know, the, the orrery is not even there. So in the book, George isn't dead at this point, And the museum heist is George and Montrose, not jo- Montrose. Uh, I would have liked to see that actually. Right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, okay. So what? So the next episode is entitled "Strange Case." Okay, that could be literally about anything. And this one is going to be directed by Cheryl Dunier, I would assume is how you pronounce her name. And she has worked on a lot of stuff. Nothing I have seen, but I mean that's well, that's Tabula Rasa, so nothing to no expectations set. I can tell you she didn't work on Rise of the Skywalker, which is a that's a feather in her cap already, right there. That's positive. <laughs> yeah, I believe the conceit of the next episode is Ruby gets a potion or some way to look like she's white. And that's most of the episode. Huh. Well, that should be good. This is the first episode with multiple writers as well. So see how that goes. Right, 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 right. Oh, buddy. Buddy old pal. I just, I, I just, I kind of hope it gets back to, you know, the, this, this series is just so up and down. And to be like, honest, I thought between this one and, and Raised by Wolves, I was like, well, I'm going to like Lovecraft Country more because that's like in my wheelhouse. But, uh, I don't know, I, I do, I like the whole early 2000s, the mummy-esque adventure film parts of it, but I don't know, it just, it seems... Out of place. Like, it doesn't make yeah. sense in the middle of a Jordan Peele movie. Right, exactly. I don't know that necessarily those two things mesh, which is why I liked episode three so much, because it was more like straight horror. Yeah, it was the best episode, by far. And I agree with you about Raised by Wolves. I have currently still only watched the first two. I'm going to get to three and four. But I like Raised by Wolves more than Lovecraft Country right now. You know, the and internet doesn't agree with us, by the no. way. The internet is really hard on... Lovecraft Country being amazing and great, and Raised by Wolves being... Well, to be fair, it's just uh, the sample size is very different. Nobody's watching yeah. Raised by Wolves. And I, I think that Raised by Wolves has a, a lot more work to do in terms of sticking the landing, whereas I can already kind of see, I think, the path that Lovecraft Country is going to take to a satisfying conclusion, whereas, like, right now, I will be surprised if Raised by Wolves has, like a an ending that is satisfactory and not yeah. like an insane lost type ending i agree and i think at the end I, and this is just a guess but i i assume or i think at the end i won't like raised by wolves because the as you just said the landing is going to be incredibly difficult to stick for that many series and lovecraft country which has crazy consistency issues i think i'll like perry mason and watchman more than both of them all right, guys. So, yeah, thanks for listening. If you're just listening, it means a lot. Go the extra mile. Follow us on social media. Spread us around by word of mouth. That totally helps. Leave us a review on any of the podcast apps. And then catch us here next week where we'll be doing Lovecraft Country Episode 5 and Race by Wolves Episodes 3 and 4. Goddamn, we're busy. 
Right, and Hunter Hunter is out probably already as this episode airs, so you can listen to the first episode of that. If you're a patron, you get even more content, as well as a back catalog of patron-only episodes. We say two a month, but then Ryan has just been grinding out content like a madman, so more than that. That's true. Our Patreon patrons are Hardboiled Greg, Nicole, Dave Levin Podcast, James Watch My Dong. Yeah, this week I'm into it. I'm watching for sure. I'm happy about it. Not like last week. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm much more into that dong this week. Cliff Wilding, hello underscore yo, atheist is unstoppable. Chris Wood, Brink and Day, Living Westworld, Craig Bachman, John Jerez, Major Woody, and Carol Andreas. Thank you for the one dollar or more a month. And I appreciate that, James. Yeah, I'm the Hunter Hunter series specifically, I'm always going to release for the patrons sooner than it's going to be on the main channel, but it will be eventually on both. And uh, yeah. It'll be cool. Come on over. Come on, come on over. Sit down. It'll and again, cool. I, cool. I have uh, near complete a two-part Call of Cthulhu tabletop campaign, which will, before the end of Lovecraft Country Season 1, Part 1 will come to the main feed, and Part 2 will be a patron-only exclusive. And that is in the works. I'm nearly done. I've written the story. I'm working now on the game aspect of it. I want to believe you. I want to believe your time frame, James. I just... I, I, you know what? Wait, you don't think I could do it in six weeks? <laughs> I just don't know. And then also, oh God, we haven't talked about it in so long, but I guess I'll just throw it in for this one sentence so we don't have to talk about it anymore. There's this like way down the line secret project that I, we haven't worked on in months, but it still right. exists. We're working on it at a glacial pace, but yeah. I like where it's going. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's really great when we publish it in five years. So like I said, Lovecraft Country listeners, join us next week for... Episode 5, Strange Case, directed by Cheryl Dunye, teleplay by Misha Green, Jonathan Kidd, and Sonia Winton. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And you know what? We should just do another one. Let's go for four podcasts in one day, see if I can talk at all tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, here, let's, uh, I don't know, what, what have you watched lately? I'm watching NFL football right now. Are you watching uh, yeah, let's that? recap and review the latest NFL football game. Uh, yeah, okay, so, so far... It's seven seven right now. It's a it's a deadlock. I ah. <laughs> uh, uh, what's the, the what's the major behind the scenes drama going on this season? You know, aside from the coronavirus and the Black Lives Matter and the right. whether or not any team will be on the field for any of the beginning shit. And by the way, I'm looking at the stands right now. There's not supposed to be anyone in there. There's so many people. Like, what the fuck are mm-hmm. they doing? Ah. <laughs> uh. Uh, well, who do you like this year? I, you know what? All I want to do this year is like myself. Okay. I mean, what? I, I know you're a Giants fan. How the, how's their season looking? Bad. Okay. It's looking bad. <laughs> Not great. They're going to be awful this year. You know uh, who else is a Giants fan, by the way? Who? George H. R. R. Martin. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait for that stupid spinoff show. What's it called? House of the Dragon? Yeah. I the thing is, like, I, I I hated the second half of Game of Thrones so much, but then, like, yeah, like, of, of course I'm going to watch the premiere of that show day one. Like. <laughs> Dave and Dan aren't going to have anything to do with this one, James, okay? Thank God. The bad men are gone. They can't hurt us anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs>